Okay, let's get into the Word of God today. Uh, you've got your notes there beside you. Uh, we are in this sermon series called Ask It. This is the last message in that series. Um, let me just mention a couple things while you're getting there, while you're going there. Um, you know, tomorrow is we celebrate Martin Luther King Day. And I want to just mention uh, some ways that you can honor his memory. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King once said that life's most persistent and urgent question is this, what are you doing for others? What are you doing for others? So go out, instead of taking a day off tomorrow, take a day on and do something for somebody. Uh, bless somebody. That's already a culture here, um, but, but just tomorrow especially, do that. Also, I want to tell you that Focus on the Family has one of his sermons on their website, Dr. James Dobson and Focus on the Family. And that sermon is Rediscovering Lost Values. And I would encourage you to uh, go to Focus on the Family website and uh, do a little search and put in the words um, Martin Luther King, Rediscovering Lost Values. Read that sermon. It is awesome. And then share the highlights with your children. I think it's something that would uh, be a blessing to you and also be a great way to honor uh, his memory. So let's get into the Word of God today. Uh, we are asking questions. We are on question number 19. Question number 19. And of course, uh, you guys really, really listen up when I do the personal questions. So the first personal question that we're going to deal with today was, what was your ultimate 15 minutes of fame? Well, today is a big football day. Isn't today a big football day? Uh, I don't know about you guys, but um, I'm going to turn my phone off and act like it won't work. And I'm going to grill some chicken wings, and I'm watching some football today up in here. And so, uh, uh, so who's a Broncos fan? So who's a Patriots fan? Yankees. Uh, who's, a, who's a 49ers fan? Who is a uh, Seahawks fan? All right. Who don't care? See, all, the only thing we talk about is relevant stuff, stuff that's relevant to our congregation. <laughs> well, let me tell you about my 15 minutes of fame. I was in Anaheim, California about 30 years ago, uh, 28 years ago. And I had never been to an NFL game. This is my first time ever going to California. I was there for a conference. And Millie and I went to a preseason football game, and it was the Anaheim Rams. It was not even the Los Angeles Rams. They were the Anaheim Rams for a little while. Anybody remember that? You're like, no, that must have been days B.C. before carpet. But so we went. How many of y'all remember the name, you NFL fans out there, Eric Dickerson? Eric Dickerson, all right, great, great running back. Matter of fact, he was the man, still holds records uh, today. And he was on that Anaheim um, Rams team. So at halftime, uh, when the uh, Rams were way ahead, I can't even remember who they were playing, but they were beating the tar out of them. And so they were going to the, um, they were going to the locker room. And I told Millie, I said, you sit right here. I'm going to run around there where they're going in the locker room and see if I can get a good picture of him. And so I ran around there, and he had, a, he had a towel in his hand. And it had his sweat on it, man. It had his sweat on it. And there were a bunch of little kids around me. And he threw his towel 
up into the crowd and I knock those little children down. <laughs> and I got that towel. Hey, those little kids probably live there. They'll have other chances. That was my only <laughs> chance. No, sir, buddy. No, sir. I kept that Eric Dickerson sweat right there on that towel. And uh, so that was, my, that was my 15 minutes of fame. That's pretty pathetic, isn't it? What is the funniest thing that ever happened to you? Now, y'all know with me, that would be, wow, I had to do a lot of thinking on that. And I think probably the funniest thing that ever happened to me was when I was a young preacher, I was wearing a black suit because when you wore a black suit, you meant business when you were preaching. And so I had on a black suit, but I had on Heisenberg underwear. Do y'all know what that is? <laughs> See, there's some people sitting out here right now going, I cannot believe he just said that. So I had on my tidy whities and I had, a, I had a hole in those pants. I can't show you where it was because it wouldn't be appropriate. But I preached, and every time I took a step, it was like, hello, hello, hello. What was so funny was I thought I preached well, but I knew I wasn't getting the great response, but everybody was looking at me, so I didn't know exactly what was going on. And what was so funny was afterwards, this guy came up to me and his wife, and she was turning, talking to somebody else. He was talking to me. He said, man, you've got a hole in your pants in a very, very bad place. I wanted to let you know. I was like, well, gee, thanks. I mean, it's all over now, you know. Should have brought some Gorilla Tape up there or something. Um, uh, so, so he gets through saying that, and she turns on the heels of you had a hole in your pants, and we could see your underwear, to her saying, and it was one of the best sermons I've ever heard in my life. That was funny. And then one time as a young preacher, I was preaching on Jonah, and I, got, I was getting all fired up and excited and stuff, and I was talking about Jonah, and I said, he was in the belly of the well three days and three nights. Ha! He was in the belly of the well three long days and three long nights. I mean, it was a long time. He was in there three long days and three long nights, and, and that whale came up and spit him out, and he went and did his business. <laughs> so we got in the car, Millie's dying laughing, and I don't know why. And then she tells me, she said, he held it three days, did he? I bet that well was glad, you know. So today, we're going to deal with one serious question. The reason we're going to deal with just one today is because it just deserves the time. Because there is not a person in this room today who hasn't fought this. There isn't a person in this room today who hasn't had this question. Why is it that evil people flourish and prosper and have good health? Now, that person could have gone on and said, and good people 
have, seem to have all the problems. So we will talk about that today. Jesus actually addressed that very clearly when he was talking about the blessings of God. He said um, that God will bless all people, that God blesses all people. He blesses all people, listen to this, regardless of their behavior and regardless of their response to him. Look what it says in Matthew 5, 45. This is Jesus talking. For he, and that he being God, makes the sun rise on the evil and the, on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And we've read that verse many times, but it applies very much to what we're talking about today. Here's what happens, guys. People who have committed their life to Jesus Christ, and you all know this because I've done it, you've done it, we've all done it, sometimes because of the circumstances of life, they lose their focus on Jesus. And when you lose your focus on Jesus, you see things the wrong way. You view things the wrong way. We all drift, don't we? Um, there are times in my life when I'm much more intimate with God and, and I'm much more at peace in my relationship with God and I'm much more fulfilled in my relationship with God. And then there are times in my life when I've drifted away and I know that I have and I try to come up with excuses and say why that I've drifted away. But every time I drift away, I get a bad perspective on things. Every time I get away from God, I see things wrong. I take things the wrong way. I say things the wrong way. I perceive what people meant. I, I perceive body language the wrong way. I look at the situations of the world around me and I perceive them through the eyes of flesh rather than through the eyes of the Spirit. I'm not talking about you right here. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about your pastor. I drift. Do you know why I drift? Because it, it is not our nature to go toward God. It's our nature to drift away from God. It's so much easier to go the wrong direction than to go the right direction because the flow, the current of this world is not toward God. The current of this world system we live in is away from God. And I battle that current just like you do. And when that current wins, sometimes that current has victory in my life and I, it pushes me away from God. And every time it does, I get a, perspe a perspective on life that's all messed up. And one of the wrong perspectives that I get, that you get, that all of us get is we only see the good that happens to bad people. We don't see the bad that happens to bad people. One of the things in our thinking that gets messed up is we only see the good that happens to bad people rather than their entire situation. So what we need to do today is to go to a whole chapter of the Bible that deals with this from the first verse to the last verse. And you all have heard me talk about this chapter many, many times. We're going to dig a little bit deeper into it today. It is Psalm 73. The writer of Psalm 73 is Asaph. The whole psalm is in your notes. And I believe I put, uh, I believe I used the New American Standard Version. And I'm going to give you some thoughts from other paraphrases and versions of the Bible as we walk through this. Uh, but you can read it in, in whatever um, version or paraphrase that you have there. Asaph got away from God. He's going to tell us he did. He's going to tell us in this chapter, I got away from God. And when he got away from God, he only saw the good things that the wicked experienced instead of seeing both 
their blessings and their struggles. Here's the deal. Listen to me because this is how it applies to us. He lost his perspective. When you get away from God, some of you today are angry because you've gotten away from God. Some of you today are hopeless because you are so far away from God, you can't see his, his blessing in your life. You can't see how much he loves you. Some of you today are depressed. Some of you today are discouraged. Some of you today are disillusioned. Some of you today are ready to give up on things because you've first drifted away from God, and a result of drifting away from God means that you don't see things the way he wants you to see them. The reason I know so much about it is because I battle with it just like you do all the time. All the time. Now, you've heard me say, and I'm going to repeat myself quite a bit today. But you've got to paddle, man. If you pull the paddle up out of the water, you're going to, go, you're going to drift immediately. Anybody ever fished on the river? And you're trying to get somewhere, and you're paddling trying to get there, but that river's got a current, and the moment you pull that paddle out of the water, it goes with the current. That boat goes with the current, and you get a lot faster. Listen to this. You go in the wrong direction a lot faster doing nothing than you went in the right direction doing everything you knew to do. That's a lot like life in this earth. Paddle, paddle, paddle. That's deep preaching right there. Everybody write it down. Paddle hard. <laughs> Amen? Paddle hard. So let's look at Psalm 73. Here's what he says. He says, oh, I know God's good. I know God is good. God is good to Israel, and he's good to people who have a pure heart. But as for me, you ever see people who think God's good to everybody except them? God is good to Israel, to such, to such as are uh, pure in heart. But as for me, now I want to tell you, this is important, that when he wrote this psalm, it was all over. Everything was in the past. He had gotten straightened out and gotten back with God. So as we're reading this, here's what he's doing. He's telling us how he was before when he was away from God. And at the second part of this chapter, he's going to tell us how when he got back where he ought to be with God, he saw things the right way. So let's look. He's going to describe to us before he got back right with God. He said, when I... When I uh, was getting away from God, he said, my feet had almost what? My steps had nearly slipped. Look at that. Here's the deal. He said, I almost didn't see the goodness of God. All I could see was wicked people being blessed. And because I had gotten away from God, I couldn't see his goodness in my life. Here's another thing, and we'll get into it a little deeper. I lost an eternal perspective. I was focusing on the now and lost the eternal perspective. I almost didn't see his goodness because my view was blurred, my perspective was messed up. Look at verse 3, and here he tells us what happened. I got messed up because I was envious of the proud, the boastful. When I saw what? The prosperity of the wicked. 
He says, from my messed up perspective, when I was away from God, this is what I saw. He said, when they died, I noticed, look at verse 4, that there were no pangs, that means pain, in their death. I mean, I thought when a wicked man died, it was a terrible thing to see. But I went over to my neighbor's house when he passed away, and he seemed strong. His strength seemed firm. So I concluded, go to verse 5, that wicked people are not in trouble as other men. Well, he's messed up, isn't he? We've said that, though. We've thought that. He said, I, I came to the conclusion that wicked people are not in trouble the way Christians are. They're not in trouble like the rest of us, nor are they plagued. In other words, nor do they have the problems the rest of us have. And since they don't have the problems the rest of us have, look at verse 6. Therefore, they wear pride like jewelry. They wear pride as a necklace around their neck and violence or cruelty covers them like a garment. Verse 7. Their eyes bulge with abundance. I love what the message says right there. I think it's the message. It might be New Living, but it says fat cats. He goes, I'm looking, I'm watching these fat cats who don't know Jesus. They don't know the Lord. And look at the last part of verse 7. He says, from my perspective, I don't have anything. I have hardly anything, but they have what? More than their heart could wish. I mean, this guy is ticked. That's Greek for upset. Verse 8. He said, I've been watching how they behave and these wicked people who prosper. I've noticed that they scoff. And they speak wickedly concerning oppression. One commentator said it means they bully their way with words. He said they're bullies. And they bully their way with their words. He said they speak loftily. One, one paraphrase said they're full of hot air. And then verse 9, he said, I've noticed another thing when they're talking. They set their mouth against the heavens. Actually, that means that they see themselves as speaking down to everybody. It sounds like when you read that in the King James, as a matter of fact, you know what version this is? This is the New King James Version. I just thought about that. It's the New King James Version. So when you read it in the King James, and this is why I tell you guys you have to study the Bible because sometimes when you read something in the King James or in some other paraphrases, if you don't really study it deeply, you'll misinterpret it. Because the first time I read that, I thought it meant that he talks bad about God because it says he sets his mouth against the heavens. But when you study the original language there, it means that he doesn't speak against God. I mean, he does. Uh, we'll talk about that later. But he thinks he kind of is God. He thinks he's kind of up there in the heavens talking down to the rest of us, these wicked people who prosper. Verse 9, and their tongue walks through the earth. Meaning that their words, they, they even invade heaven with blasphemy and smearing earth with slanders. Verse 10, he said, therefore his people Return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And I know that sounds hard to understand, so let me just clarify verse 10. What that means is that people actually listen to them. 
He said ignorant people, people who don't know the word, people who don't know God, because these people are rich, because these people are prospering, people drink it in. Every drop they say, people drink it in. He said, so, so what he's saying there is that not only do these wicked people prosper, but they got influence. They got influence. He said, and then I listened to what they say, verse 11. He said, and they say things like, how does God know? How does God know anything? He said, I was listening to these wicked people who prosper, and this is how they talk. They, they say, how does God know anything? Is there any knowledge in the Most High? Prideful people talk this way. Look at that. That's a very important verse. How does God know? Because we're hearing this a lot today, aren't we? How does God know anything? And I mean, even if there is somebody up there, does he really know anything? Does he really have any power? And then in verse 12, he reminds us who he's talking about. He says, behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. Life's easy for them. They don't love God. They don't love the Bible. They don't love church. They're cursing. They're blaspheming. Life's easy for them, but it's hard. I'm a Christian, and it's hard for me. They increase in riches. Not only are they rich, but they grow in their riches every day. Verse 13. He says, I've come to the conclusion that I got saved, and it didn't do me any good. He says, I've come to the conclusion that I've gotten saved, I've given my heart to Jesus, and it didn't do me one bit of good to give my heart to God. I know Jesus hadn't been born here, and I know that's not what he's saying because the Messiah hasn't even come, but I'm just putting in, in relevant language that we might use today because I think there are people sitting here who say, I wonder, has it really done me any good to give my heart to Jesus? Would it have been better to live like I wanted to and cross my fingers and hope on my dying bed I could make stuff right? Look what he says in verse 13. I've cleansed my heart in vain. I've washed my hands in innocence. He's saying I've been stupid to play by the rules. What has it gotten me? I've tried to remain innocent and it's gotten me nowhere. For here's my life, verse 14. Let me tell you about my life. I told you about the rich who prosper, the evil people who prosper. Here's how my life is. For all day long, I have been plagued. Get out your violins, boy, it's getting sad now. For all day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. <laughs> I read one commentator who said that what he's saying there is, I feel like God gets me up every morning to spank me. I'm chastened. That's what chastened means. It means to be corrected, to be, to be spanked. He says, I feel like God gets me up every morning and goes, let's start out with a good whipping. Y'all ever felt like that? He said, I get nothing but trouble all day, and it feels like God just gets me up every morning to beat the tar out of me. Hey, the guy's being honest, isn't he? Look at verse 15. He said, man, I got to tell you, this is the Farrell Hardison version, man, I got to tell you. If I ever wrote a Bible, there'd be a lot of, man, I got to tell you, in there. If I ever wrote a paraphrase. 
He said, I've got to tell you something. If I had said what was really in my heart, if I would have spoke thus out loud to people, I mean, it would have been... It would have been awful. He said, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. In other words, if I really spoke how mad I am, if I really expressed how bitter I am about the prosperity of the wicked, he said, I'd offend everybody. He said, you think I'm saying a whole lot? You ought to hear what's in my mind that I haven't said. Look at verse 16. He said, when I tried to comprehend this, when I tried to understand this, when I tried to make some sense of people who hate God having all their heart could wish and people who love God having just enough to survive, he said, i got to tell you, it was too painful for me. I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. He said, but it hurt too much. Now, in verse 17, everything changes. In verse 17, he gets right with God. In verse 17, he comes back to God. Asaph comes back to God and gets right with God. Now, remember, the whole chapter of Psalm 73 is a testimony. It's all over now. He's just telling us how it went. He said, when I got into the sanctuary of God, now, Here's how I want to interpret that. When I started going to church again, but that's not what he meant. I don't think that really does it any damage, especially if you serve a, if you go to a church or attend a church where God is present. I think it helps you to be in church. You need each other. You need God. You need to have people around you who love God. We need all that. But what he's saying right here is, he's saying, when I thought to understand this, he said it was too painful for me, so he said I went back to God. He said, and when I got closer to God, I started seeing things better. When I got closer to God, I began to understand what was, where they were ultimately headed. See, the blessings of the wicked that the wicked experience are limited to this life. Did you hear what I just said? The blessings that the wicked enjoy are limited to right now. Because I'm telling you, unless they come to Jesus, they are headed for suffering that no words can describe. Here's an example in the Bible, another example, before we go to verse 18. You remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man ate crumbs from the, uh, Lazarus ate crumbs from the rich man's table? You remember that? And then both of them died. And Lazarus was in paradise, and the rich man was in hell. And the Bible says that the rich man, this is in Luke 16, it says that the rich man was asking for help for his torment. What did he say? Just dip your finger in water and let one drop touch my tongue. You remember that? Read your Bible, Luke 16. He was reminded that the good things took place during his life on earth, while Lazarus lived in suffering. Lazarus, who loved God, Lazarus, who loved the Lord, he reminds us in Luke 16 that Lazarus suffered in this life, but in eternity, what really matters is that now Lazarus is in paradise, and the rich man 
is in hell. And Abraham told the rich man, remember that you, and this is in verse 25, Luke 16, 25, remember that you in your lifetime on earth received your good things. In eternity, God's children will enjoy eternal joy while those who are not Christ followers, followers would experience eternal suffering and separation from God. Look at verse 18. Let's close this out. He says, then I realized it wasn't me that was in slippery places, but it was them. He said, surely God, you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. It wasn't me who was being destroyed. It was them. See, now he's gotten back with God, and now he sees stuff right. Look at verse 19. Oh, how I understand now they are the ones brought down to desolation as in a moment. They are enjoying their high life, and in a moment, it's gone. They're utterly consumed with terrors. Verse 20, as a dream, when one awakens, so, O Lord, when you awake. In other words, to them, they think you're asleep, but one day they're going to realize God woke up. As a dream, when one awakes, so, O Lord, when you awake, you will despise their image. Not that God hates people but he will despise how they rejected him. Verse 21, thus my heart. Then he began to feel bad about how he had been. Y'all with me? And so he says, God, I, I, I look back now on how I was before I got right with you, and I just got to tell you, God, my heart was grieved, and I was vexed, tormented in my mind. And verse 22, he goes, God, I just want you to know I understand now I was so foolish back then and ignorant and the reason I was ignorant is because I'd strayed away from you I was like a beast before you and really you do a study there he's like I was like a, you ever heard of you ever um, been trying to sleep at night and all night long there's oh, 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 oh. and you are like poor dog yeah I was and about an hour and a half later you want to kill that dog he goes God I was like a beast just howling, just barking at you. Look at verse 23. He said, but now I realize that when I was messed up, you didn't leave me. Can somebody say amen right there? Are y'all glad when you're messed up, God don't leave you? Because sometimes I get messed up. He said, God, I understand now in verse 23 that even when I was messed up, you didn't leave me. You were continually with me. You held me by my right hand like a little child who wants to run out into the traffic. You held my hand. Went, no, I know you don't like it. I know you're mad. I know you're ticked off. But I'm not going to let you run. You held my hand. Verse 24, you will guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you, here, here, here's the deal. I see their end now, and I see my end now. Y'all with me? I see how their life's going to end, and I see how my life's going to end. He said, I, receive, I, I understand now that you're going to guide me while I'm down here with your counsel, and you're going to receive me to glory afterwards. Somebody say amen right there. He says, Lord, whom have I in heaven but you? That reminds me of the disciples one time when Peter was asked, are you going to leave me? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. He says it here in the Old Testament. He says, Lord, 
Who do I have in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart fail. I mess up, God, I mess up, I mess up. But God, you are my strength. You are the strength of my heart. You are my portion. How long? Verse 27, for indeed those who are far from you, I see it now, God, they're going to what? What are they going to do? Perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. And then in verse 28, he comes to the final conclusion. It is good for me to draw near to God. Amen, amen, amen. It is good. Sometimes it doesn't seem good. When you draw near to God, it looks like you don't get blessed, and the guy who doesn't draw near to God does get blessed. He said, but I understand the whole picture now. How many of you know the enemy doesn't want you to see the whole picture? He just wants you to see little snapshots so he can get you thinking the wrong way. He said, but God, in verse 28, I now see the whole picture, and Lord, I've determined that it is always, without exception, good for me to draw near to God. I've put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. Mm. Now I want to warn you. Look at the last verse in your notes. When you, it's okay to say, I don't understand why the wicked prosper. I don't understand why the wicked prosper, and I don't understand why it seems Christians get the short end of the stick. It's okay to say that, but you can't get where Asaph was. Asaph got bitter. Asaph got bitter about that. You can ask God any question you want to ask him about stuff that you think is unfair, but look what it says in Malachi. Malachi 2.17, or Malachi 2.17. Look, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, listen to this, everyone who does evil must be good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? You, you see the warning there? So don't misunderstand me now. I think it's okay when you don't understand to bring your misunderstandings to God and go, God, I don't get this. But you know what? Even if God doesn't give you an explanation, you want, God wants you to trust him. Listen to me. Listen. He's always right. I don't care what it looks like to you. I don't care how messed up it looks to you. I don't care how unfair it looks to you. I don't care how much you think it's unjust. Listen to me. We serve a just and a holy God, and he is always right. He's always right. He's always right. You say, has God ever done things, Pastor, that you got confused about and upset about and didn't? Absolutely. But he's always right. He's always right. Everybody say with me, God is always right. And what you don't understand now, you'll come to know. How many of y'all remember the old hymn, we'll understand it better? Father, thank you for the word today.